We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I'm your host, Patrick Moran, thank you very much, as always, for locking in, whether you're listening to this on the audio side, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, or if you're watching us on the video side, which if, if you are watching us on the video side, might be watching this actually live. We're recording this late on a Tuesday night. The Buffalo Sabres just put it to the Los Angeles Kings tonight. Um, crush them i am joined right now by my boy pk from the buffalo sports collective it's been a hot minute since i've had you on the show man how you doing what's up not bad how about you it's been a you're looking a little tan there yeah I, I i'm I, i'm still feeling it uh this is the first by the way i feel a little bit weird right now so if you're a regular listener or, or viewer to the show it hasn't missed a beat like there's been an episode every single day since I went on vacation. But what I did was all of last week and the first two episodes of this week was pre-tape a bunch of stuff that was really kind of like not time sensitive so I could still drop it. I wanted to make sure I still had an episode of Talking Buffalo available every day. This is the first time I've been back at behind the mic with the camera on and stuff like that where it's current like in eight days. And it kind of feels a little bit, uh, like I got some rust to knock off. Just came back from a cruise. So if you haven't watched or listened to the show, if you're new or whatever, you're just diving in because the Sabres beat the shit out of the Kings tonight because we're obviously going to talk about that. That's the reason why we're actually live here. Sabres post game tonight. But um, yeah, so I went on a cruise, the first cruise I've ever been on in my life. Uh, Royal Caribbean, Radiance of the Sea it was. Yeah, four-day cruise. We reported out of Tampa. Spent a couple days at sea. Uh, one day in Cozumel, Mexico. And then back, I talked to you real briefly here before we started recording. You're, are you a veteran cruiser? I know you've been on at least one because we talked about that. Where did I've you go? On, I've been on three. Uh, oh, really? Bahama, I went on Carnival to start. That was back in 2018, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I went on Royal in 2021 after, my, uh, um, after I got married. And then... Last year, I believe it was no 2022. I'm sorry. Uh, went on MSC when we were in uh, Rome. So that one was a full seven days. The other two were four days. But I, I don't know your opinion on it yet. Royal Caribbean was my favorite of the three. Yeah. Well, so I don't have. This was my first cruise, so I don't have anything else to judge it by. Like I can't compare it to anything else because I've never been on a cruise. Um, I really didn't know what to expect. So when you went, did you go with just your loved one? Was it just you two? So she was my girlfriend the first cruise. She was mm-hmm. my wife the second. And then we went with another couple on the third one when we were in Italy. Okay. So this was, like I said, this was my first one. I'm laughing. I'm pulling up a point. Sir Antler says, Pat, who cares? Get to the savers. 
We'll get to the Sabres, folks, in just a couple of minutes here. Let me have a couple of minutes uh, to have a little bit of fun talking about this cruise that I went on. So I went with my wife. However, th this was different. I pretty much can guarantee than anyone else I know that's ever been on a cruise before because we went with a group. And it's common, you know, you go with your with, with your spouse or you, maybe you take the kids with you, you go as a family. Maybe it's a little bit of a, you know, a bachelor party, stuff like that. I went with 250 of my closest friends, acquaintances, and perfect strangers. So when I lived in Florida for five years, we joined this group called MVP Sports and Social. Really close-knit group. Big, obviously. 250 people went just on this cruise alone. Uh, I knew about 20 to 30 of them really well. Some people I knew as acquaintance. But anyway, kind of took over the ship. Like 20, 25% of the ship were people from this MVP cruise. And we did a lot of shit uh, throughout it. It was a lot of fun. Little seasick though. Second night. Did you get seasick when you went on any of these cruises? I did. My wife did real bad. So I do get seasick and I get motion sickness and stuff. Like I can't look down in a car. Uh, airplanes can't look down anything like that. Did you get the wristbands? Like the, the ones that they put the pressure on your wrist? Nope. I found out when it was too late. And then when I went into Mexico and ported on Saturday, couldn't find one. Went to a bunch of like farm little pharmacy and drugstores in Cozumel, Mexico. And couldn't find any. Those are clutch. Like I took them off when we're on land because just to give they press against that pressure point perfectly. And the, you might look stupid walking around with them. My God, I forgot to put them on for like 10 minutes back on the cruise. I felt horrible. Like yeah. for the next 24 hours, horrible. But next cruise you go on, or if you're just motion sickness or anything like that, Put those on. I, I don't know what it does, but just those little wristbands are godsend. It, it, I would have been over the railing puking if I didn't have those. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, well, it was definitely a lesson learned. All in all, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, the, the people from MVP in Florida that we went on the cruise with, it was fantastic. I'll talk about it more on our Fan Friday show. It's a little more casual and relaxed. People are already bitching at me right now to get to talking about other savers, but yeah, I was by the way, so I was seasick for one night, and now when I came back into the states, I flew right home from Tampa. Sea legs a little bit, you know what I mean? I still feel like a little bit off, nothing, uh, nothing crazy. We'll circle back to maybe talk about that at the end of this show. If I got some time, I also want to talk about the Bills, uh, the Super Bowls, some of your takes on that, the Chiefs. Uh, we'll get to that. Let, let's dive right into these savers, though. I gotta tell you, I'm almost at a loss right now what to think. Because I I don't want this game on Tuesday night to cloud or change how I feel about this organization right now as a whole. Um, I feel like I've skipped dislike and I went almost into pure hatred with this team over the last couple of weeks. One, actually, I, this is related to the Sabres. On the cruise, they played twice and like an idiot both times. So I had an internet on my phone and I have an app where I can kind of watch the games. And uh, try watching them and he scored one goal at home, both games, just pissing myself for spending all this money to go on a cruise and then spending any time at all watching this team play. It was really pissing me off. But anyway, Tuesday night here, the Sabres just absolutely destroyed the LA Kings seven to nothing. It's their largest margin of victory in five years. It's their largest shutout victory since shutting out Atlanta. The Thrashers it was eight nothing all the way back in 2001, November 2001, I had been married for like less than a month at that time. And my first thought is this, PK, like watching this game, if you're an LA Kings, imagine being a Kings fan and watching this game, going into Buffalo. They've struggled in Buffalo, but still, they're the better team on paper and they're the better team in the standings. Kind of feel like this is how Bills fans felt watching that game in Foxborough earlier this year when the Bills went to New England and lost. I mean... They didn't get blown out like the Kings did. But let's start there. If you're a Kings fan, you're like, what the hell's going on here tonight? Yeah, I mean, the Kings are by far the better team. They got the playoff opportunity right in front of them. Buffalo was sitting, what, 12 points back of a, even a, a wild card spot, let alone having to jump how many teams in front of them. If I'm L.A., I'm sitting there just going, this isn't even like the, the end of their road trip. This was game one of their four-game road trip. Yeah. And they put up a goose egg and it, it wasn't even Buffalo was just dancing circles around them. And it, the, what frustrates me the most, and I know we're going to get in the Sabres is where has this been 
all here. Like when they play like this, they can play with any team in the league. Yeah. It's just they're not consistent enough. And if you're an LA fan sitting there watching this, just going, how can we, you know, do so well against so many other teams? And it's just Buffalo that always puts up that strike. It's kind of like uh, minus the the last game that Buffalo and the Jets played against each other. But Jets have always played Buffalo very, very close within the last few years. It's what it kind of feels like, except, you know, Buffalo gets the edge over L.A. And it makes no sense because they've just been putting stinker after stinker. Like two combined goals the last two games, and they put seven here. Like if you're yeah. if you're sitting in LA watching this team, you're just going, "What the hell did I just watch?" Yeah, you know. So the last two episodes of talking Buffalo previous to today was a two parter. State of the Buffalo Bills. Monday was the sad version. Tuesday was the happy version. And I kind of likened it to being a kid when my parents used to always say, "I got some good news. I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? And my mother kind of taught me to always take the bad news first, because then you can leave on a on a positive note, at least most of the time anyway. I want to kind of flip-flop that, though, because tonight doesn't change the season for the Sabres by any means. But let's start with the good news. Let's talk about this game. And if there is one thing about this game that was no anomaly, like tonight was an anomaly of how the Sabres had played for this entire season. Uh, maybe not quite seven nothing, but what we saw offensively on Tuesday night here from the Sabres is something we saw quite often last year with this team. Not this year, but the one thing that has been consistent this entire season, including this game here on Tuesday night, is UPL. Fantastic again. 33 saves. His fourth shutout of the year I saw on the broadcast early before we went live. I uh, just tied Ryan Miller for the most shutout since like 2011, 2012. He has been in, in a season full of on ice and just organizational disappointments. UPL has been by far the biggest bright spot on this team this season. Uh, I think you can make a, a very strong case that if the season ended right now and you, we were doing a end of the season award show, that UPL would probably be the most valuable player on the Buffalo Sabres this entire season. I'm trying to look up the stats as I went because coming into this game, and, and obviously this improved now because he had a shutout, but over his last 11 starts coming into this game, a .935 save percentage and a 1.75 goals against average. Uh, he's just 24 years old, man. This kid, this might not just be a little short-term thing. Maybe he's ready to be that guy right now. And maybe it's not Devin Levi for the foreseeable future. Talk about UPL tonight and just what you've seen from him this season that makes you, you know, just like the way he's played so much this year. I've made plenty of stupid comments in the nearly three years on our show. And UPL is just another one to add to the list. I was the one that was saying both on your show and our show, just ship him out the door. Like if he pans out and is a great goalie somewhere else, great but it won't be here. And man, am I happy that I'm here and not up in the Sabres front office. Cause he would have been out. The, he's been unbelievable. Like, yeah, he, I, what confused me the most early on in the year and maybe their season is the same as it is right now, but maybe they're four points back instead when he was playing this well, I don't understand why they weren't giving him the net. Like they were giving him every other game imagine what this team would have looked like and imagine the numbers he would have put up if they would have just relied on him and kept putting him back in the net and just kept rolling with him. I think not only is he, he not only is his improved play there, but I think because he's been able to take that net and make it become his own, he's gotten so much more comfortable in there and just gotten on this rhythm. And I mean, Two combined goals that the the goal scoring for the Sabers that they were able to afford him the last two games, one in each game. He hasn't gotten the 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 help in front of him, the the goal production in front of him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be sitting there 12, 13, and two. He'd be sitting there what with like 15, 16, 17 wins, like something like that. But his composure in the net this year, where in previous years he would overcommit and get out of position. 
He's playing further in his net now. He's post to post so much quicker. He's using his big bodied frame better to cut off any of those angles. And his he's just so calm in there. And I remember like one or two plays in this game where the puck's right in front of him. He's not panicking. He's not overcommitting. He's not freaking right. out. He's just calm, composed in net. He knows exactly where the puck is the whole time. He's seeing the puck at an unbelievable level right now. The, the biggest disadvantage is uh, he's got no contract for next year. He's an RFA. So what is he going to need and what are they going to have to pay him to if, if these numbers continue the final, what, 30, 29 games, however many left during the season? Um, John Slater says, frustrating team, UPL, a huge silver lining. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny too, going back to, to training camp in, in the preseason, he looked like shit. And I remember because there were a lot of people including myself that did not want this team to carry three goalies and the obvious you, me, both of us. And it was, it felt that Devin Levi was dead. He was the number one going into the season and that Comrie was the more trustworthy backup. I even remember a time where I don't know if I said it directly, but I know other people did. And I certainly didn't hate to take at the time that take a chance, put UPL waivers, see what happens. It'd be better than having three goalies on your roster. So when it comes to that, I got a lot of beef with Kevin Adams and Granado this season. But when it comes to that, I guess being patient and sticking with the three goalies, in this case anyway, certainly worked itself out because UPL ha has really risen. Uh, Comrie is who he is. And conversely, Devin Levi, not good yet. You know, I haven't lost any faith in Devin Levi. He's very young. I think last year is very small sample. Might have been a little bit misleading and gave the Sabres and, and Kevin Adams maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of premature uh, false hope. But my point being is that by keeping the three goalies as long as they did, Devin Levi kind of played himself to where he is right now. And that's being in Rochester and getting the starts there where UPL has risen to be this team's undisputed for the time being at least um, number one goaltender. But yeah, it, it's surprising in, in a season full of disappointments. Um, this has definitely been a, a pleasant surprise to see him play this well. Not a lot of 33 shots. You know, some of them were really tough ones, but there were a handful of really good chances that the Kings had. And to your point, I really like your take there. Just looks calm and patient in that. You can see it. Yeah, my only concern with him is the history tells a different story than what we're seeing these last few months. I'm I'm not concerned about it, but it is something to take note of is, is this just the outlier season that he's going to have and the rest of his career is going to look like what it did before, or has he truly figured it out? I know goalies take a while. Ryan Miller was down in the AHL for what, four years until he finally broke through and yeah. was the goalie he is not comparing the two, but is this the true UPL that we're going to see his play? looks like it just because of how calm and in position he is and and all the improvements that I've seen this year as opposed to the previous few years I I'm 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 leaning more towards that he's finally figured it out and can be that go to 50 to 55 game a year player but I've also been fooled before and I don't know if I want to fall in that trap again but what I've seen the last two two and a half months he's He's clear and obvious. He's one of the very few players on this team that took a step forward this year rather than another regression. It's um this is by far the longest sustained stretch of quality play that UPL's had during his Sabres career. But yeah, to your point, Kevin Adams, let's not go giving another guy a seven or eight year deal based because he's having one good season that hasn't worked out so well, at least this season anyway, uh, with this team. You said he was one of the few guys on this team that has stepped their game up this year. Um, another one is J.J. Paterka, who got the Sabres off to a really good start uh, tonight. He poked in his own rebound, a really nice um, setup from Jordan Greenway. We had a really good game, too. at a three-point night, um, Jordan did. I just, I almost, I want to be careful here because, again, I'm not going to get giddy about this team, dude. If we would have taped this episode an hour before this game, or let's just say the Sabres did not play on Tuesday night and we were taping a show, the first 15, 16 minutes of this podcast, I promise you, would be radically different because I'm really pissed off about this team. But 
I got to give credit where it's due if we're talking about this this game and we're doing some live reaction here from the Sabres just destroying the Kings. But yeah, J.J. Paterka has been that other guy who I think is really, his play has ascended from where it was last year. And he definitely got the Sabres off on a good start. One other quick thing. So this is what, the fourth, maybe fifth time I think we've done a, like live post games. Usually I have a couple notes and there's like, you know, two, three goals, seven, seven things <laughs> that we got to go over. Let's start with JJ though, his season. And like I said, getting the Sabres off to a good start in this game here on Tuesday night. Yeah. Like you said, we're going to rip this team. So don't think this is all like oh. nice flowers and stuff like that. We're just trying to pick out the small pieces of a really good game. JJ Paterka, he's one of the other pieces that has stepped up his game. He mm -hmm. is a legit player. And I believe it was Michael Pekka when he was still coaching down there. He said, when they were talking about, you know, Jack Quinn and all the other younger players down there. And he just mentioned JJ Paterka is a legit player. He keep an eye on him. He is unbelievable. And that line tonight between him, Middlestad and Greenway was just buzzing. And I think yeah. the play that they had in the first period right off the get go is what boosted them to have those seven goals. If they didn't have that shift that they did in the first period, to generate that first goal, this might have gone the other way because how many times has the Buffalo Sabres gone down in a game and then the opposing team just collapses and Buffalo can't even get in the zone and can't generate any opportunities and then all the shots are on the outside. This team feels like the team that needs to score first and early to get going. Yeah. And it's it's the extra hustle. They pass from Greenway right up the middle to J.J. Paterka and then the mindset to realize, oh, the goalie doesn't have it. I just can poke this in. He's having a great, great year, and he's stepping up in the place of what I thought Jack Quinn was going to be, which his injury just sucks because that team was buzzing in January when he comes back, and it's weird that one player can just <laughs> make the team play so much better. But he's definitely stepped up in the absence of a Jack Quinn and given that little bit of hope that's out there of another player that has a promising future, and um, he could get up to, what, 25, 30 goals? He's got 19 on the year, I believe. Leading team is going right now, sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned this. It, it, was just, it almost felt weird for the Sabres to get out to a quick start because, especially at home this year, they've stunk. And we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. You know, falling down, not even just a goal at home, but falling down multiple goals in the first period at home or going 30 minutes without scoring a goal at home or having one goal at the most has been common. So Paterka scores and it's one nothing. I'm like, all right, you know, a nice little lucky, not lucky play there, but a nice little play. And, you know, I, I know the from what I've seen from this team, that might be the, the, the load out for the offense for the night, but no, uh, Jordan Greenway, who, who set up the first goal, he gets a turnover from uh, Drew Doughty. A, a great shot. He puts him up 2-0, still the first period. And then near the end of the first period, Kyle Ocposo, of all people, scores on the power play. The Sabres power play that's been dreadful all this season. Ocposo, um, he gets credit for the goal, and it's 3-0 at the end of the first period. I'm thinking in my mind, oh, I got to go on here with PK in a little bit. And I'm ready to rip this team, but they're playing too well. I can't do that. Three nothing at the end of one, man. What's going on here? You might have been thinking that, but I was thinking, how the heck are they going to find a way to blow this one? That was my uh, mindset. Nah. Was, it's only three. What's going to happen? But yeah, that first period, like this whole game, they were buzzing. The passes were unbelievable. They were generating opportunities and they were getting to the front of the net. I don't know how many shots heat trackers or whatever you want to call it on the map of when I'm seeing shots and the whole outside is all lit up with shots. And then it, right in front of the net is just blank. And tonight looking at the shot chart, chart it, he's going to, they're going to be out in front. I mean, Benson's was in front of the net. Uh, Poso got in front of the net. Yeah. I, I, JD Paterka's was right in front of the net as well, but they were just, this is the team that we were expecting to see in October, like this exact game, maybe not seven, nothing every game, but this sure. type of offense and the, the opportunities that they were able to generate. This is the type of team that even national reporters were writing. Buffalo Sabres have a team that can make the playoffs, nothing about Stanley cup, but break the drought and make the playoffs. This is the exact team that we thought we were going to see when I came on here the first game 
I remember the first game, all the excitement, and they dropped, what, 4 nothing against Montreal, I think it was. But this is the team that we thought we were going to get. And that's what's so frustrating is the potential's there. The opportunities are there. They can play like this against a top-level team, and we didn't get it. But that first period, it was it was fun to watch again because for so long now, like when we're recording on our show and the Sabres segment comes up, it just puts you in a bad mood. Like you're depressed to have to talk about this team. You don't want to talk about this team, but you have to. And you try to find something other to talk about rather than just ripping them after day after day because nobody wants to hear you rip and say the same thing day after day after day because it's the same thing. But it was fun to actually watch an offense look competent. You know, prior to this game, I I got so tired uh, of ripping on the Sabres that I've started to turn my attention towards the media and the folks who cover the Sabres because I'm like, you're not being hard enough on this team. I feel like at times, not everyone, there's there's some really strong journalists out there who cover the team, but there's at least a couple, whether it's mainstream media, whether it's bloggers, whether there's podcasters, they still kind of treat this team with, with kitty gloves. Uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, John, John Slater says, Lindy Ruff would have this team in the playoffs. I think John Slater has been hitting a couple too many beers here on a Tuesday night. And then Kevin said, Olofsson was invisible tonight which was does not help his trade value. True, but this is the good news portion of the podcast. So we ain't going to be talking about uh, Victor Olofsson. So yeah, that is 3-0, then it's 4 nothing. That's when Stalin takes a, a pass from Ryan Johnson, scores his 60th of his career. And then you mentioned Zach Benson in front of the net all alone. A perfect pass from Bryson, who played well tonight, Bryson, by the way. And this was Benson's first goal in 20 games since December 15th. I, I kind of want to put a, a first round pick on blast or going 20 games without scoring a goal. But let's be fair. You know, him being on this team right now was an unexpected development at the beginning. I'm not just like with Devin Levi, Zach Benson struggling to score goals this year. It's one of the few things, issues with the Sabres that I'm not really overly concerned about. But anyway, he scores, Chuck scores on a turnover, three goals on turnovers tonight, by the way. Um, and then Greenway, did I say, yeah, did he hammer on rebound off a tuck shot? Two goals, three points for for uh, Jordan Greenway. Uh, before we get to break here, I don't know. I want to feel good. Should I? Am I allowed to feel good for the show? This At least game. first half this of the game. show. I just it just happened. I just don't want to get caught up in in the you know we're talking about the overall season here with the Sabers. Um, it was nice to hear the fans. By the way, a lot of empty seats. So at least it looked like it on TV. Obviously, neither of us were at the game, or we wouldn't be doing this minutes after the game ended here live. But it was, nice. it was a nice reward for the fans who actually go out to the game to have a lot to cheer about. The, it was the first time I you hear the chant, you know, one, two, three, four, five, we want six. So, uh, yeah, man, just to conclude this part of the of the show anyway, just a, a really fun and unexpected Tuesday night here. Yeah, I mean, Benson's play alone, there was a shift that lasted probably – 30 to 40 seconds in LA's end. And he's getting hammered along the board. He's camping in front of the net. He's getting chopped in the legs in front of the net. That kid might only be 18 and what bucks, 60 bucks, 70 soaking wet. He is not afraid of anything. And he's one of the few players on this team that will go to the dirty areas and then go to the front of the net. And I'm very, very happy that just a few minutes later after that shift, he was able to, like you said, Bryson, beautiful pass Bryson played great tonight but a beautiful pass to him and then cashes it home he deserved that with the the play that he's done and I was actually shocked to hear it was 20 20 games without him scoring just because he this season he feels like he's doing more without the numbers being put on the box score because he's having a solid solid season regardless of the numbers and he's one of the again one of the very few that I can actually say that I'm I, I enjoy watching on this team. Yeah. Um, I I think every time we've done a, a stream this season with the Sabres, Jordan Greenway's had a good game. I feel like we talk about him in a positive light every time you and I get together. I think it was the first star of this game, too. I don't even think UPL got the first star, even though he had the shutout. I think it was Jordan Greenway who had the the first star. I'm, I'm not sure who had the third. But anyway, yeah. A fun, unexpected, and... In a way, annoying Sabres victory only because you are reminded of everything that this team is capable of being. And after we take a real quick break, 
literally seconds here on the video. So we're going to come back and kind of talk about this season as a whole and just how madly uh, disappointing it's been. So we'll be right back in just a few seconds. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I am back here with PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective, and we are talking Buffalo Sabres, a impressive victory over the LA Kings, 7-0 on Tuesday night. Real quick, before we get back into the Sabres here, obviously your bread and butter on the Buffalo Sports Collective is, of course, the Bandits. How they look this year? You know, I, I keep criticizing other people who, who don't cover them enough. You guys are one of the few who actually give them the coverage that they richly deserve. Uh, how would they look this year? I just haven't been able to keep up with them. They're looking, their offense is looking really, really good, but they're missing two main holdovers on the defensive end from their championship last year. One of them's done for the year. That was expected. He's not coming back. He, he didn't oh. even start the year. The other one is hopefully back late March, but you can definitely tell on the back end that there's players there that are not used to the system. And while the goal scoring is one of the best, I think they're tied for second in the league in goal scoring. They're one of the worst in goals against. And obviously for the average fan, they just go, well, this is Matt Vince's problem. He's letting too many goals in. But if you actually watch the game and break it down, there's small breakdowns in front of him on the defensive end that are, that are costing them. They're still sitting at five and three. I still have them in the tier one and the opportunity that they have to repeat as champions is still there. There's just bits and pieces of their game that they have to improve. And they just went on their final bye week last week. So now they got 10 straight weeks of action until the playoffs start off. Still 10 more games left? Yep. Wow, it's a longer season than, than I can remember. I got to get back into lacrosse. But, um, well, they're 5-3 and three at least. So it's good. They're an interesting team. They're fun to watch. Are they like last year's Sabres, but they're actually good instead of bad? Oh, now, last year's yeah. Sabres weren't good enough to make the playoffs, but they scored a lot and got scored out a lot. That's what you're saying is that's what the Bandits look like this season. Yeah, they went through a stretch right in the beginning of the season where three straight games they allowed under 10 goals. And ever since then, it's been like constant 12, 11, 12. Or 12, 11, or sorry, 12, 13, 14, sorry, it's like 12, 13, 14 <laughs> goals against. And it, if they fix that part of their game, lights are out. Like they're going to go on another run. But honestly, for this team, it's similar to like Kansas City, similar to the Bills, it's similar to 49ers. Their season doesn't start until April when the playoffs come around or May, I should say, when the playoffs come around, that's when the true test is. They they pretty much just want to get a first home game and take it from there because if they play the way they did last year in the playoffs, it's going to be a cruise ship back to the finals. After not being in my studio here for like eight and a half days to record live, I'm uh, definitely trying to work off a, a little bit of the rust here. Real quick, uh, Alexander Felix comments, he's watching the show live tonight, says, glad they want to live in L.A., and I love it when we crush the Kings, Rams, Chargers, Niners, Raiders. There are a lot of Raiders fans still in LA, and I love repping Buffalo in their faces. Let's go. You know, kind of brings me back real quick here to, to the cruise. So I watched the Super Bowl on the cruise because I was there for Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, there were a lot of, it was just weird watching it 
with with fans and I had Bill shit on and there were a lot of people who came up to me just in that, like almost like at a, when you go to a funeral, you lost a loved one and people are telling you that sorry for your loss. Like you could tell there were a lot of people who are not Bill's fans, but they were polling for the Bills. I must have heard that probably 15, 20 times at least on, on Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, anyway, shout out, Alex. Thanks for uh, the comment. All right, the Sabres, look, feels great to go out on a, on a Tuesday night like this, look impressive. But like I said before the break, kind of frustrates you that this is a team that we should be seeing more. Because coming into this game, there's only 30 games left now. Um, they're 23, 25, and 4. They had... Going into this game, I don't know what the standings are up to the second, but the six fewest points in the entire NHL, which is weird to say, because for all the expectations last year, you come within a point of making the playoffs. A lot of people expected you to make the playoffs this season, and it, we're closer to having an NHL mock draft season right now than any real playoff talk. What's that, that take-a-down site where you can do the simulation? I don't even know who the top prospects are right now, but my point is maybe I should start to get to know them. Because this team is just underachieved this year. They were 20, or last year, they were third in the NHL in goals scored. This year, they are 25th. And this is no more small sample size, dude. This is they're 52 games into the season. There's only 30 left. Um, what, what has been, in your opinion, maybe one or two of the most disappointing things? Like, what's went wrong with this team the most? Like, where do you assign the most blame that Buffalo is where they're at? Which is short of a miracle at this point, 13 straight years, an NHL record 13 straight years without making the playoffs? Well, I, I think the easy answer is just goal scoring. But if you narrow it down even more, it's the power play. I mean, if the power play didn't take such a crap, I think this team is right in that hunt. But their power play has just been such a putrid performance that th the biggest thing that's confusing to me is how can this power play that and how can this team that was so close to making the playoffs last year that you were expecting them to make that final jump and get into a playoff spot and be in that contention this year? How do they go from that all the way down to this and nobody suffers any consequences? Like, I understand they've had uh, injuries and that plays a factor into it, but you can't tell me that. The whole season long, 52 games in, like you said, no longer a small sample size. This is the majority of the season has been played so far. You can't tell me that the power play just randomly breaks. Nobody gets assigned any blame for it. You just keep rolling out the same thing over and over again. If they were to fix that and just be a halfway decent power play team, they could have been just right in contention for it. But with how good they were last year on it and this year, how bad it is, that's your makeup right there of the missing goals that are not there because I was seeing stats that they're pretty okay. They're average packed on five-on-five -five play, but because their power play is just so bad, it drops them down so much further. And power play should be one of the strong parts of this team if you have the team that you had last year and we saw the pieces and the players be able to put the puck in the net and the power play was such a strong part for them last year that it just disappeared this year. I, I think that alone to me is the number one reason why they're sitting where they are in the, in the standings. And it's just, it's disappointing that nothing was pretty much addressed with this team with how bad they have been playing five on four, whatever else it is, five on three, so on and so forth. Sure. Uh, I got a comment was, Tage Thompson season last year anomaly. I'll get to that in a second here. I want to throw some numbers for you going into this game. And now again, they put up seven points or seven goals. I should say here on Tuesday night, but going into this game, back to back home games since the all-star week, the bye week break one goal. And they've had one goal at home in each of the last three games coming into this game, four goals or less in seven of their previous nine one goal or less in four or last nine. So they simply cannot find the net. And before this game here on Tuesday night, um, individually, Alex Tuck, five goals in his last 20, although he did have one, so now it's six and 21. Tage, five goals in his last 17 games. Um, by the way, to answer that question, last season wasn't an anomaly because he was good two years as well. So he's had two really good seasons. Um, 
Not the same this year, but he's not he's not alone. Um, Zach Benson, again, this was his first goal in 20 games here on Tuesday night. Dylan Cousins, just four goals in his last 18. Last year, the Sabres had five guys on the team with at least 28 goals. This year, unless a couple guys get hot here over the last 30 games, I think J.J. Paterka might be the only guy uh, on pace to, to, to beat that. 28 or let alone get to 30. So and I think Skinner might be maybe on pace. I don't, I don't have that data um, in front of me. But anyway, goal scoring has been an issue. You talked about the power play. That's been a big issue. Look, I'm really locked into the NFL. I know how the NFL works really well, and I'm pretty locked into the NBA. I don't follow hockey enough outside of the Sabres organization. I just, or, you know, their games, the team. I read a lot. I see a lot of tweets. I know that coaches in the NHL get fired a hell of a lot more than they do in the other professional sports. I think saw something like Don Granado's kind of hovering around the top part of, of longest tenure. And I'm like, are you surprised that he hasn't been fired yet for this season? I know Mike Harrington and some of these other people would say that's a stupid question. I don't think it's a stupid question because I think there's a lot of talent on this team and to come out and to get buried in the first period at home as often as they have this year. That's an issue to me. They're not coming out ready to play, not scoring at home enough. There are lots of issues. Are you a little surprised that Granado hasn't been fired? And do you think it should have been a consideration at some point? Yes and no. I personally think that he should have been on the chopping block based on the performances that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And you can blame the players, but my biggest thing is, are you going to trade 21 players or are you just going to fire one head sure. coach? I I am not expecting him to get fired. I was never expecting him to get fired because I don't even think his contract extension has kicked in yet. It hasn't. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's been rumors all about, you know, it, are the Sabres losing money? Will Terry Pagula fire another head coach and want to pay another one to sit on the couch and then bring in another guy, all that kind of stuff. I, I was going into this season believing that Don Granada was the head coach to put this team over the top because you saw Darlene take another step. Uh, Tuck took a, a career season. Skinner had a career season and so on and so forth. All these players had career seasons and sure. he was getting the best out of all these players. He was so good at developing these players and making them take that next step. And this was the true test for him is can he go from that developmental coach that brings players to that next level to actually be able to compete for a legit playoff spot? He hasn't proven that yet. This was a team that had playoff expectations, and it was pretty much playoffs or bust this season for this team, and I believe he came up short. So if it were me, based on how often the NHL turns around coaches, I would have let him go. I would have at least fired an assistant coach and made some kind of change, which they didn't even do. But am I expecting the entire group of Don Granado and Kevin Adams to be back next year come October? 100%. And I believe they're going to just keep saying, you know, this was a down year. We had injuries. We're going to make a few signings here and there. And we're going to run it back next year because this might have just been an outlier season. There. I think I, I sort of agree with I wouldn't fire him now. I think right, you're a coach, yeah. maybe a little earlier in the season if you're yes. still looking for a spark. But at this point, so you're not getting, time now. Yep. it would take, yeah, it's just to, yeah, you give them the rest of the season and then you reevaluate. And I agree because the extension hasn't even kicked in yet. Terry's not trying to eat that money if he doesn't have to. Um, you know, maybe if the team is disastrous over the last handful of weeks in the season, once they're, you know, officially buried here. It's just funny. I keep going back to, I can't believe that it, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. When people hear this on the audio side, it's Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day, and my mind is more on takeadon.com than it is looking at the wildcard standings right now and seeing you know, what the chances are of the Sabres getting into the playoffs. It, it just blows my mind. I think Rodato deserves a lot of criticism for mainly just... just when you come out as many times as they have this season and fall into multiple goals, deficits at home, tells me that your team's not coming out ready to play. Simple as that. 
You did mention one thing, though, that we do need to hit on. and Because I think it is the one fair excuse for this team is injuries. Because it is, you look at their injury list. Um, I wrote down a couple notes here. These are the amount of games that some of these players have missed this season. Again, we still got 30 games left, so they only played 52. Tuck has missed seven. Tage has missed 10 games. Quinn's at 34 and counting. Cousins has missed three. Skinner's missed eight. Benson, um, seven or eight. Greenway's missed 12. And we saw on Tuesday night here, he could be a key part of this team. Gergensen's 18. Now Owen Powers hurt. Got hurt at practice. He's going to miss probably a couple weeks. I mean, those are not just players. You know, to compare it to the Bills, this would be like, you know, it's not like special teamers and backups, man. This would be like Diggs and Oliver and, you know, uh, Rasul Douglas, some of these guys getting hurt. These are a lot of star players on the Sabres. So if you're going to cut them some slack, and I'm really hesitant to really do that at all, but you can say that injury luck has, has been a big factor for the Sabres this year. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they've lost a ton of games from their top talent, guys, that you needed to repeat what you saw last year or improve off of it. And I'm like I said, that is a part of the reason that they're where they're at, but it's not in the top three of why they're sitting where they're at. And a lot of other teams are going through injuries as well, and they're able to overcome it. And I think to me, that shows another issue with this organization of you brought back a Gergensen, you brought back an Oposo, and yes, he's having a decent year. I think he's on pace for like 18 goals or something like that. Right. You, you brought back Olafson. He's still somehow on the team. You brought back the exact same team, and you didn't look to improve the 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 third and fourth lines and depth, which you need to step up when you have these type of injuries. So that might not fall on Don Granado. That would fall on Kevin Adams for just saying, hey, let's run it back. We are point back. Let's improve the defense a bit. We'll try to get more steady goaltending out of Levi and UPL and go from there. And you didn't have Kulik step up, which I think they were hoping for. You didn't have um, um, Savoy crack the lineup because he got hurt. You didn't have um, uh, a few of the other guys who I'm blanking on their names down in Rochester really develop and take that next step forward and kind of push the Oposos and the Gergensons Rosine. and all those players for, yeah, for those type of minutes up here. So I think it's just more of a collective build of this lineup that you weren't able to with, withstand those injuries. And yes, the injuries went to your top performers. I think what Middlestad and Darlene, maybe the only ones that didn't really miss true games along with Paterka. But if they would have addressed and not brought back both of the, the veterans on this team and maybe added a better goal scoring third liner or something like that, it, we could be looking at a team that we're with able to withstand the tuck injury and with able to withstand the Tage Thompson injury and the Skinner injury. To me, that's that was more of the glaring issue is she's just trying to run it back with the same players you did last year. And there was no backup if those players ahead of you either didn't have the same type of season last year or did get injured. Uh, you look at the makeup of the roster and the personnel and what's in Rochester and stuff like that, the prospect pool. I see a lot of changes. Even during this offseason, I don't think they're going to be particularly aggressive. I know Middlestad's going to be a big decision on what they decide to do with him, whether they try to trade him for value, or they try to sign him long-term, said UPL will be restricted. Obviously, guys, you know, like Johnson and Clifton, they, they'll probably won't be back after uh, this season. Oh, look, I think Clifton's a multi-year deal. Yeah, I, think I don't he's know. got three more years. Oh, Jesus, really? I think he's you know got a four-year deal. <laughs> you know what, man? I've had my fill of being able to talk about the Buffalo Sabres here for one. I come back after eight days to do a show. I'm doing it live with my man PK from Buffalo Sports Collective, and I'm stuck talking about the Buffalo Sabres, and I can't completely rant on them because I feel like I'm being a hater. If I rant too hard on the Sabres right now, I'm I'm a freaking hater. They just won seven to nothing. What the hell more can you possibly want out of a team? Now, if we were to do this show Thursday night, I'd be willing to bet we're probably covering a four to one loss. Let's talk about it, PK. Or they lose one, they win one, and blah, blah, blah with this team. Sick of it. Before I let you go, though, Super Bowl thoughts here. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, probably not going to have a worse roster <laughs> anytime soon with Bad Mahomes. Underwhelming for a lot of the season, but finding a way to win on the strength of their defense and they win the Super Bowl, man. What, what were your thoughts watching the game? Were you. 
rooting for against the Chiefs? Did you really care about the the game itself in terms of rooting interest? And just what do you think about the game and, and the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl for third time in five years? I think I found myself and I've, I think I came to the realization about it like a year and a half ago that doing this podcast where I tried to take off my fandom hat and try to be more, you know, objective towards things has made me a different kind of fan. Like I'm still a diehard fan, mm-hmm. but when the bills aren't involved, I don't, I, I'm, I can't get myself as invested with pure hatred anymore. So I'm watching this game just going, this, this is actually a relaxing game. There's no fantasy football to deal with. There's, there's no bills involved with it. I can actually just sit back, enjoy a football game. It was one heck of a game. So I went in not rooting for either team. I really honestly did not care who won that game. I just wanted a true good football game. And that's what we got. And it just, it goes to tell you that Patrick Mahomes might go down as the best quarterback we have ever seen play that game. I mean, he's on pace to do it. I'm not crowning him the goat or anything like that yet. I still think that's Tom Brady with all the championships and everything like that. But 28 years old to do what he does. The the defense with Kansas City was unbelievable. Spagnola does not get any head coaching opportunities, which blows my freaking mind that he he does this year after year and no opportunities pop up for him. But they just they don't go away. Kansas City just every single year finds a way to they beat Miami. They beat the Bills, they beat the Ravens, and then they go in and beat the 49ers. It's it's unbelievable. And who was their wide receivers? <laughs> like Justin Watson, he made him look like a legit wide receiver. I know he's got Travis Kelsey and he's on the back half of his career, like the last 10th of his career, whatever you want to call it. But even their best wide receiver, Rashi Rice, he wasn't really that involved. What, like two catches or something like that? It's yeah. just what he was able, what Patrick Mahomes was able to do with the makeshift team he has just makes me even more terrified for them next year with all the salary cap room they have, because they're going to draft a wide receiver and probably go out and get, are they going to go out and get a T Higgins? Do they have the money to do that? Cause if you add T Higgins to that team with Patrick Mahomes, just shut it down, just shut it down. This was a, a microcosm, the super bowl of what the chiefs were for the regular season. Pretty yep. much the offense really couldn't get it going much till they had to, but the defense bailed them out. I'm with you, sort of. I didn't care. I had no horse in the race. I didn't care who won. I was not rooting for or against the Chiefs going into the game. I know a lot of Bills fans out there hate the Chiefs and they want to see the Chiefs lose. I didn't ever share that sentiment because they could have lost the Super Bowl 40 to nothing and it would not have made me feel, it wouldn't change the fact that the Bills lost to the right. Chiefs. You know what I'm saying? And again, I told you I was on a cruise for Super Bowl Sunday, people are just coming up to me, strangers, because I got Bill shit on and telling me, you know, I'm sorry, I felt bad. You guys should have had it this year, your year, this and that. Did not care about it going into the game, no, in terms of rooting interest. I kind of disagree with you, though. It was a close game. It was exciting, but it wasn't a really a pretty game. Like, there were no, like, memorable, oh, my God, what a great play. I can't believe this. You know what I mean? It wasn't a lot of gasping type of moments in the game. Stay close, which. You know, the, the, the first half, the San Francisco 49ers defensive line were just killing Mahomes in that offense. I felt like the 49ers should have gotten out much more than they did. And they let the Chiefs hang around for too long. And then Mahomes started putting shit together when it mattered. Because, of course, that's what he did. But I will say this. So I didn't care going into the game about who won. But I will say I did get a little depressed after the game because I started thinking in my mind, just like I said a few minutes ago, this Chiefs team, I don't even think they were that good. And they still won the Super Bowl. That gets under my skin right now as I'm talking to you about it. That gets under my skin. Yeah, there's, I mean, you were correct and you are right. There weren't that memorable play. Like a lot of these Super Bowls, there's that one or two plays that stand out, like the Eli Manning one. You know, the um, Manningham over the shoulder catch on the sidelines, a few other mm-hmm. ones that there's there's memorable moments and there's standout moments in the game. I don't think this this game actually had one, but I mean, it might come down to Travis Kelsey kind of chest bumping Andy Reid on the sidelines. That might be the most memorable part of the Super Bowl. But sure. it, you it's it's 
this was the worst team that Kansas City might have in years and years and years, and they still just won the whole thing. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, how are you supposed to stop this team? The 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 best thing that Kansas City was able to do was their drafting on defense. They're they're not paying a ton of play. I know Chris Jones is going to break the bank this offseason, what they're going to have to pay him. But the young guys, like McDuffie's one of the best. <laughs> him, Sneed, uh, uh, um, the other lineman, uh, Carvelis, or I can't remember how to pronounce his name. They, they drafted Bolton, so well. Bolton, yeah, Bolton they drafted so well on the defensive end or the defensive side of the ball, and that's why they have so much money going into the the offseason this year is because they didn't have to spend and go get a Von Miller. They didn't have to overspend, and uh, they haven't had to pay the Matt Milano's yet, the Ed Oliver's yet. The the big money's on the defensive end side of the ball, so they're just able to retool on offense, go get the more weapons for Patrick Mahomes, and try to run it back for a record-setting third straight season. I want before one last thing before I let you go. I'm going to be covering this more extensively on tomorrow's show. I got Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings, and we're going to kind of deep dive into this. But I got a theory for you. I want to run it by you. I want to want to get your thought on this. A lot of people are wondering, like, why can't the Bills get over the hump right now and beat the Kansas City Chiefs? Some people say it's got a lot to do with coaching and Andy Reid just being a way better coach in the playoffs than Sean McDermott. Um, some people say, and I think this is kind of foolish, but Patrick Mahomes is just straight up better than Josh Allen. Don't really agree with that theory because Josh has played well enough for the Bills to win the last two times they played in the playoffs. But anyway, you're getting on a lot of this. But for me, I think the single biggest thing why the Bills right now can't get over the hump and beat the Chiefs in the playoffs is because the difference is the star players from the Kansas City Chiefs and let's take Mahomes and Allen. Let's just call them a wash and let's take them out of the picture. The other star players from each team, Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey for the Chiefs, Stefan Diggs and Ed Oliver for the Bills. You, you know, league-wide, you might not say Ed Oliver's a star. Buffalo, Bills fans, media, Ed Oliver's a star. In the playoffs, Chris Jones comes up big at the biggest moments. That four he pressure on, on Deion Dawkins to get to Josh didn't allow him to step up into the pocket, and he short um short arms to throw to Shakir would have been a touchdown, could have been a touchdown. Who knows how that would have played out? But in the Super Bowl overtime, Purdy's got Jennings open. That's going to be a touchdown. But Jones gets through, hits the quarterback, forces the throw early, and San Francisco ends up picking a field goal, and the rest was history. Chris Jones don't make that play. San Francisco scored a touchdown. Travis Kelsey. Six games at the regular at the end of the regular season, zero touchdowns. Gets to the playoffs, time to turn up. You know, he played good against Miami, two touchdowns against the Bills, 75 yards receiving, 11 catches for a buck 16 against Baltimore. And then in the Super Bowl, it's third and seven, game to finally play in the fourth quarter, and he gets a 22 yard pass and gets down inside the 10 in a chip shot field goal to send it to overtime. If he doesn't come up with that play, that's a 50, 51-yard field goal at the end of the game. Who knows if he makes that? You know, you know what I'm saying? Those guys play like stars. On the Bills, Stefan Diggs, Ed Oliver, great regular season players, face plant. And they've done it more than once now in the playoffs. So to me, it's the star players from the Chiefs outplaying the star players from the Bills when it matters most. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me on Stefan Diggs, but I know for sure that in the playoffs he's come up short year after year after year and the 63, what the 63 yards receiving combined in the last three elimination losses that's what i was just going to ask what was what i just know in the last three losses that they've taken in the divisional round he's come up short and it, it's perfect like Chris Jones doesn't, if he can't get to Josh Allen, that's a touchdown to Shakir. If he can't get to Brock Purdy, which I don't even think he was blocked on that one. I think that was more of a, either a missed assignment or it was. I don't know how you do not block their best defensive player, but that's another statement. He hits, he hits for the touch. Brock Purdy hits for the touchdown there. And you, you never know what's going to happen there, but exactly the star players stepped up when they needed to, and they're able to do that in the playoffs and the bills, Excluding Josh Allen, like you already mentioned, sure. exclude Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Who else has really stepped up for the Buffalo Bills when it comes playoff time? Like, I I don't – you had Davis that one game uh, versus Kansas City, which they ended up going to lose 13 seconds. But who else was really memorable that stepped up? Like, I can't 
think of anybody else. Shakir, I mean, he he had a great game, but I mean, nobody else. None of your He's star, not a star. He's not yeah, a star. none of your star players. The people that you're paying to be the star players have stepped up and performed in those big time moments. They've come up small or just completely disappeared. I think to some extent, fans, content creators. I got to say, content creators, because that could be again bloggers, podcasters, mainstream media. So whether it's them or maybe an organization itself, I think we judge the Bills too much on what they do in the regular season and not enough for what they do in the playoffs. And I think that's being uh, a little short-sighted and letting them off the hook. You know, I, I feel like this is a Super Bowl or bust quality team at a bare minimum AFC championship game or bust. And, you know, now two straight years, three straight years, it's uh Ascended in uh, the divisional round, real frustrating. But anyway, I'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show with uh, Anthony Marino. Be sure you check out my guy PK's podcast, Buffalo Sports Collective, Bandits, Sabers, Bills, all kinds of other stuff. Man, it's good to have you back, man. It's been a minute. Like I said, it's good to be back here in my studio, and good to have you on, man. This was fun. I'm happy you uh, had a good time on your cruise, and you made it back safe. <laughs> Thank you. 7 nothing Buffalo Sabres over the LA Kings. Can you believe that shit, man? Talk to you guys tomorrow.